0: Well, good morning. morning. Welcome to the Oasis. We're glad you're here, especially if you are visiting with us. We want to extend a very warm welcome to you and hope you feel loved and appreciated by being here this morning. Today, we conclude our study of the book of James, our last message from this great letter of the brother of Jesus. So, James chapter 5 Verses 7 through 18 this morning. And we're going to divide this message into two different parts because that's what James divided it into. We've been talking about the fact that this letter is all about the fact that our faith, our confidence in God, our convictions about who God is, and what we believe about God will be tested throughout our life and that there's different things that will come into our life or be a part of our life that will test our faith. And we've learned that anything really worthwhile in life is going to be tested and should be able to stand up to the test if it's worth something. And our faith is obviously worth more than anything. God says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. So faith is foundational to our existence, especially as a follower of Jesus Christ. And here in this last section of the book of James, James says our faith is going to be tested in two areas of our life. It's going to be tested in our waiting (laughs) as we sit in God's waiting room, waiting for the next thing, waiting for him to move, waiting for something to happen. And it's going to be tested in our praying Faith is tested in the waiting and the praying, and we've already sung about that this morning. Or to say it another way, I would say it this way. We need to have faith enough to finish, and we need to have faith enough to pray. That's what James is going to talk to us about this morning. Faith enough to finish, faith enough to pray. I'd like to direct your attention, first of all, to the first section, verses 7 through 12, where James talks to us about patient endurance, patient perseverance, or waiting. It's all the same concept. In fact, in these verses, from verse 7 through verse 12, you will see the words patience, perseverance, endurance, or waiting used seven times in this passage. In fact, what's very interesting, then, in the next passage we're going to look at, verses 13 through 18, the words pray, praying, or prayer is mentioned seven times as well. But please follow along with me as we look at verses 7 through 12, first of all. James says, so then, my brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord returns. Think of how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the ground and is patient until it receives the early and the late rains. Verse 8, very key. So you also be patient and strengthen your hearts for the Lord's return is near. Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be judged, for the judge stands before the gates. And as an example of suffering and patience, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Think of how we regard as blessed those who have endured. You've heard of Job's endurance. And you have seen the Lord's purpose, that the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And above all, brothers and sisters, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall into judgment. Seven times in those very short verses, James talks to us about Patience and waiting and endurance and perseverance, all dealing with the same. And when we talk about patience in the Bible, we're not talking about us standing in line somewhere and there's 10 people in front of us and we got to be patient. That's not what we're talking about here. That's a different kind of patience. You see, those that James was writing this letter to, they were under duress. They were going through the fire. They they were feeling the pressure of life and everything about life sort of squeezing them. And so the patience that the Bible talks about is this supernatural sort of stamina, this what I call supernatural hang-in-there power that God can supply his children in order to just keep on going and moving through life in spite of the obstacles and the challenges and the difficulties and the adversity and the affliction and all of that. It is this marathon mentality that God wants his people to have so that throughout our life, life is going to bring its stuff. And yet God doesn't want to see his people sort of throw up the white flag and say, I give up, I surrender, I'm done, I quit. No, it's this ability that we get through the Lord to just continue to go forward and move forward and just keep on going no matter what's thrown our way, what's in our path, or what we have to deal with. That's the kind of patience or waiting or endurance here that James is talking about. And that's why we see our faith tested in these waiting times where we're going through, you know, maybe something very difficult and something very hard, and we just want God to remove it or, or for it to go quicker or or for it not to even be there at all. And God is saying, I just want you to endure it and persevere and and to just... Receive from me this stamina and this stick and this steadfastness that just keeps on moving in spite of the contrary winds that are blowing against us. Amen. That's why in verse 7, notice he starts out, so be patient, brothers and sisters, until the Lord returns. You see, he's saying, look, I want you to adopt this marathon mentality that that life is not a sprint, that it's a marathon. And there's going to be different levels where we sort of hit a wall like a marathon runner does. But like anyone who runs, I got to have a goal. I got to have a finish line. I I have to have something that I'm fixing my focus and my attention to. That's the only way runners, whether you're talking about hurdlers or sprinters or even marathon, that's the only way you run effectively is by having something out in front of you to keep focused on, to keep your attention. And for the Christian, it is the return of the Lord. You see, that is to be the focal point of our life as we run this marathon, that that we don't get You know, our eyes completely focused on the here and now whatever, but that we keep looking ahead knowing that the Lord is coming for us one day, that the one who said, I go and prepare a place for you also said, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's the focus that you and I need to have as a Christian. Otherwise, it will be very, very uh, easy for us to raise the white flag and say, I'm done. I give up. I, 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 because we've got to keep focused on the Lord's return. Amen. That's why he even says in verse 8, so you also be patient and strengthen your hearts. Literally, fix your heart is what the word means. It means to be determined, to be resolute, to make a resolution. And what is it that we are to be fixed on? That the Lord's return is near. It means that it is fast approaching, that it is closer now than when we first believed, as the Bible talks about. See, that's what the Bible tells us to do. Peter tells us to set our hope completely on the grace that will be brought to us when Jesus Christ appears. It's always about keeping our eyes not only on Jesus, but especially our attention on the fact of his return. And that one day... Things aren't going to always be like this. That for us as Christians, this is the only hell you and I will ever know, and that the Lord is coming, and that glory awaits us for all of eternity. And once that change comes, it comes, and it's, it's never going to be the same again after that. Amen. Let me share with you something that I did not realize until just a couple months ago as I was digging into this message and, and studying for this as well. In the New Testament, just the New Testament, just Matthew to Revelation, the Lord's return that James here is talking about, that God wants us to keep focused on as we run this marathon, is mentioned 300 times. Just in the New Testament. Do you realize that's once every 13 verses? Every 13 verses it averages out that God is reminding us, Lord's coming back. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Lord's going to return. Every 13 verses in the New Testament. Sounds like God wants us to keep our minds focused on something, right? And that's part of how you and I, even when our faith is tested in the waiting how we can keep going and keep running this marathon is by fixing our heart and strengthening our heart, knowing that whatever we're going through is only temporary, the glory is eternal. And that even in these hard times that we have to go through on this earth as human beings and even as followers of Jesus Christ, it is purposeful as we've already learned from the book of James. It's never purposeless and God will use it to strengthen our faith, to strengthen our hearts, not to make us weaker, not to defeat us, not to discourage us and bring despair into our life, but to make us stronger so that no matter what we have to deal with, no matter what obstacle or challenge is in our way, we can overcome it and be more than conquerors through him who loves us. Amen. That's why James goes on to say, don't grumble against one another <laughs> because isn't it easy when you and I are going through hard times and we're hurting to start taking it out on those around us? James says, no, no, that's not a marathon mentality where you're patiently enduring and persevering by allowing the Lord to give you that supernatural hang-in-there, you know, staying power. No, when we start to get weak and, and when, we, when we start to feel like we're going to give up, we start to really hurt and get our eyes focused, or get our focus off of the Lord and of his return It's coming and all the glory and all the good that awaits us forever and ever, and we, we start to bite at each other. And we start to grumble against it and get really critical of each other and start tearing each other down. And James says, better not do that because you're going to be judged for that. You're going to be held accountable for that, even as God's children. And he says, the judge is standing before the gate. The king of glory is getting ready to come in. And man, when he does, everything's going to change forever and nothing's ever going to be the same. And James is saying, you don't want to be one of God's children that that is when the king of glory comes through those gates and everything changes where he catches you just tearing your brothers and sisters and other people down and just grumbling and complaining and criticizing and all that. He wants to see you there strong in your faith and, and just persevering and enduring and just keep on keeping on through the strength that only God can give which is why he also uses the example then of the prophets. He says, and as an example of suffering and patience, he says to us as Christians, do we not remember the prophets of the Lord? And if you read your Old Testament, you and I can't help but think about, my goodness, the stuff that they had to deal with. Whether it was Isaiah or Jeremiah or Habakkuk or Amos or any of the Old Testament prophets, Man, their life was not easy. And sometimes I think what James is saying is we get this false impression that, you know, I, I became a follower of Jesus Christ and I'm, even, I'm doing everything right and I'm doing what God wants me to do and shouldn't my life be easy? When did God ever tell us that? Amen. Not on this earth it's not. <laughs> and so he says, don't ever forget about the prophets. And then he goes on to say, Oh, and don't we regard as blessed those who have endured, verse 11? In other words, don't we look up to the people, the Christians, the people in the Bible who went through it and yet came out the other side and were able to persevere and, and endure? Did, aren't they our heroes? And when you think about the people in the Bible, would we even know of Joseph? (laughs) Had he not went through all the stuff that he went through that we read about in Genesis? Would we even know about Daniel? Had Daniel not been an exile in Babylon and been thrown into the lion's den? I mean, all these great stories that we read about these Bible heroes and the people that we look up to throughout our Christian life, why do we look up to them? Why do we even know about them? It's not because their life was cushy and because their life was easy and they never had any suffering or they never had to persevere and endure. No, it's just the opposite. It's just the opposite. They had a lot of stuff to endure, and yet they are examples to us that hopefully will inspire and motivate and encourage us that if they can do it, we can do it too. Which is why then James says, you've heard of Job's endurance. And Stephen mentioned him this morning before we did our worship time. That that's what that song is all based on. Blessed be your name. It's Job. Job. And and James goes on to say, do we not see the Lord's purpose even in all of Job's suffering, that the Lord is full of compassion and mercy? In other words, even Job declared, the second half of my life was even better than the first. That whatever God took away from me at, at that point, he doubly blessed me in the second half. And he says, whatever relationships were taken from me during that horrific time, I realize that I'm going to spend eternity with them and we're just separated for a very short time. See, God did not allow that to happen to Job to somehow punish Job or or to cause him to live a life that was miserable on this earth. It was a moment in time compared to all of eternity. And Job greatly benefited and profited from going through that. His faith and his heart towards God became so much stronger and so much bigger. And then on top of all that, not that God had to, but God physically and materially and temporally blessed him in spite of it twice as much after the fact as he did before. So James is just saying, do we not trust God? That's where our faith is tested. You see, somehow thinking God isn't good and isn't good to us and is holding out on us in some way. And that's why then at the end of that, in verse 12, he says, so above all, brothers and sisters, don't swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. Let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall into judgment. Again, What's James saying here? And why is this in the context of patient endurance? Because when you and I sometimes are in the midst of a a really difficult time, a really hard season, or the pressures of life begin to mount and sort of press against us, what's one of the first things we'll start doing? I'm going to start making promises and vows to God that many times we either don't even intend to keep or we end up not keeping. And James says, don't even go there. Don't talk it. Just do it. And I think James, to be honest with you, because he was so close to Peter, learned some things from Peter's mistake. Didn't Peter make that mistake? Remember when Jesus tried to warn Peter, Peter, you, you, you better strengthen your heart because there's hard times coming and, and, and you all are going to betray me and, and you're going to deny me before the cock crows. And remember Peter? Oh, he talked again. Oh, God, I, I would never... Turn my back on you. I I would never deny you. And and made this big spiel about he was going to be so faithful and all this stuff came out of his mouth and none of it was true. And James is saying, wouldn't it be just better just to have done the right thing than to tell God all the stuff you were going to do and then you don't end up doing it? But that's what we do sometimes when the pressure's on. We start letting these things fly out of our mouth that we've already talked about that's hard to control sometimes. And we make God all the, you know, I'll never miss another church service as long as I live, God, if you, you know, take this away from me. And I'll, I'll be faithful and I'll read my Bible every day. And James, just, just do what you know you need to do. Going back to last week's message, those of us that know what is good to do and don't do it, it's sin. So just do the things you know you do and don't talk about it. Because every time we open up our mouth and we make these promises and make these vows and then we don't keep them, then we're going to be accountable for it. So just do what you know you're supposed to do. So in verses 7 through 12, James is saying, hey, there's no doubt about it. When you and I are in the midst of adversity, when we are being afflicted, when we're going through a really hard and difficult time, our faith is going to be tested But God wants us to have faith enough to wait, to endure, to persevere, to hang in there, to stick to it, to be steadfast, to rely on that supernatural hang-in-there power and stamina that only God can give and that no matter what comes our way, we just keep on chugging forward. I believe the Christian marathon mentality could be described this way. It is being obedient in the same direction over the long haul. an obedience in the same direction. See, for many, that's difficult because we can go so far, but then we get veered off, we get distracted, we, we go this way, we go that way, instead of Sticking to it and seeing it through all the way to the end, faith enough to finish. How many Christians do you know? And maybe this was even true of you at one time in your life where you were really close to the Lord, but now not so much. How many could we say? How many Christians? or those who profess to be Christians have dropped out of the Christian life. They don't come to church anymore. They don't read their Bible anymore. They don't pray. They don't witness. They don't fellowship with other Christians. All they used to. And James is saying, during life, life will get hard. And it's so easy for Christians who are not strong in their faith to get distracted and to veer off and to quit and, and to not see it through to the end. Which is why I love what Paul said because Paul said what hopefully all of us want to say one day, because he got to the end. And here's the words that he says when he got to the end of his life. I am already being poured out as an offering, and the time for me to depart is at hand. But, he said, I finished the race. I kept the faith. Therefore, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. And the Lord, the righteous judge, will award it to me in that day. And not to me only, Paul says, but to all those who have set their affection on his appearing. Taking us back to where our focus should be, the return of the Lord. See, Paul said, I crossed the finish line i didn't give up i didn't quit i didn't drop out no matter how hard it was and if you know paul's life after coming to christ you know it wasn't easy in fact for many of you that are coming on wednesday night as we're getting ready to finish up our study of the book of acts the second half of the book of acts is all about the trials and tribulations that the apostle paul endured being a servant of the lord and yet he hung in there He never said it was easy. But he was able through the supernatural stamina and strength that only God can give us to stay by it and to literally see that tape at the finish line and to cross that finish line on into eternity. God wants all of us to have that kind of a testimony where we can say like Paul, I finished. I finished. And I kept the faith up until the time I crossed the finish line and went to see Jesus. So that's the first thing that James wants to talk to us about. But then in verses 13 through 18, James wants us to talk, talk to us about prayer because that's where our faith is tested too. In fact, prayer and perseverance actually go together. Jesus said in Luke 18, 1, my children ought always to pray and not to lose heart, faint, or give up. So even Jesus ties the fact of our prayer life to our ability to be able to persevere. That's why I've said for years, you show me a Christian who's praying and I'll show you a Christian who's probably persevering. You show me a Christian who has no prayer life or a very weak prayer life, I'll show you a Christian who's really struggling to persevere. So listen to the words of James then, beginning in verse 13. Is anyone suffering? He should pray. Is anyone in good spirits? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you seriously ill? He should summon the elders of the church, and they should pray for him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. The Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great effectiveness. It's very powerful. Elijah was a human being just like us. And he prayed that it would not rain And there was no rain on the land for three years and six months. Then he prayed again and the sky gave rain and the land sprouted with a harvest. So let's look for a few moments at this passage on prayer. You see, because James is saying, our faith is not only tested in the waiting, our faith is tested in the praying or the lack of it. And God wants to build into us, his children, a faith enough to finish and a faith enough to pray. You see, James is basically saying in this passage any and everything you and I go through in life, we should be talking to God about it. Everything. Many times as Christians, we make the mistake of, of sort of compartmentalizing our prayer life into. The only time I really go to God and try to grab a hold of him and talk to him about something is when something big or something is really going wrong in my life. But other than that, no, I don't talk to God. I don't stay in communication with him. And we do that to our own peril as Christians. See, the Bible teaches us just the opposite. In Thessalonians, Paul tells us as Christians to pray without ceasing In the book of Philippians, Paul says in every situation through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to the Lord. There is no teaching in the Bible that says only when something big or some big crisis comes into your life should you pray. No, our prayer life should be this daily, constant communication with God and communion with God where we are simply living hand in hand and locking arms and arms with God every day about everything at all times. It is really just keeping a connection with God. And here's the thing. There is never anything in our life, no time in our life, nothing that you and I will go through in our life where God does not invite us to himself. Let me repeat that because that's very important. There is never anything nor any time nor any situation where God is not inviting us as his children to him. That's what prayer is. Prayer is basically doing life with God continually. It's not necessarily having to be on my knees and bowing my head and closing my eyes and all of that and and, in some way praying in that way. It can just be knowing that there's this God consciousness that I'm living with each and every moment of the day, and that at any time, no matter what I'm doing and what I'm engaged with, I I can be conscious of God's presence, I can be conscious that he's there with me, and he and I can be having a conversation. I can be listening to him, or I can be talking to him at all times, and other people don't even have to know it. So sometimes if you see Pastor Jeff and he looks like he's a little crazy or out there in left field or... It might be just because me and God are having a conversation and you're just in on it. But that's the way God wants us all to live. That's why he says at the beginning of this passage, if you're suffering, pray. That, that shouldn't be like the last resort. Like, well, I'm going to go to, you know, all the doctors, and then I'm going I'm to th- do all this stuff, and then I'm finally when I, maybe I find out that it's really bad, then I'll start praying about it. It's like, even if you think something, just start praying about it. Start, start giving it before your heart starts to, you know, get consumed by it. Just start talking to God about it and communing with him about it. And then he says this, if you're in good spirits, praise the Lord. That's why, can I tell you, I hope that we are building a group of people here at the Oasis that are in good spirits because that means you'll be here early so that you make sure at 10 o'clock you're in this seat and you're able to praise the Lord and sing praises because that's what a grateful, thankful heart to God does for all that God has done. Then he says, oh, and if you're not only... An individual Christian that keeps that constant personal communion and connection with God, that's great. But he says God also calls us into community as far as praying with each other and praying for one another. That's why Jesus said, my father's house where my people gather shall be called a house of prayer because God not only wants prayer to characterize our lives individually, he wants prayer to characterize us as a community of believers, which is why then he goes on to say, if you have a serious illness, you as an individual Christian, don't wait for the leadership to come to you. You go to the leadership of your church. That's your responsibility. You summon the elders." You ask them to pray for you, you see. And that that's what the leadership should do. Be willing to pray for those in our community of believers, you see. Praying for them. And notice he says, there is power when we pray for one another, which is why he goes on to say also... Confess your sins to one another. Keep that that unity. Keep that harmony. If you've done something to break that unity and harmony to where you don't share with each other in life and you don't share prayer requests and you don't pray for one another, then confess that and get that right and get yourselves back together so that you not only can worship together, but so that you can pray for one another so that you can be made whole by the Lord. Because He said. And this is very key. Do we believe it or not that the prayer of a righteous person has great effectiveness? Do we really believe anymore in the power of prayer? You see, because to me, if we really believed in the power of prayer like Elijah did, we'd be praying more. Our lives would be filled with prayer. And not only praying us to God, again, individually, but praying in community with each other and for each other. If we really believed in prayer, we wouldn't hesitate to ask our brothers and sisters or our church leadership to be praying for us. And we certainly wouldn't hesitate to be praying for others because we believe in it as much as we believe in the God who calls us and invites us and encourages us to live a life of prayer which is why, just like he did with the examples of patient endurance and talking to us about the examples of the prophets and and of Job and of others, he also says, oh, and by the way, let me give you an example of someone who believed in the power of prayer. His name was the prophet Elijah. He believed that God responded to prayer so much that he prayed that it would not rain. And I like what James says. He says, oh, by the way, he was a human being just like us. In other words, sometimes as Christians we think, well, you know, that person had a special in with God. I mean, I, I, even, I even know that to be true even as a pastor. I think there are some Christians that think because of my role that God has called me to or my responsibility, I know Lisa gets this, people like Nicole and others, anybody in me. It's like somehow, you know, we got an ear with God that you don't have. No! It might just be, I just believe in prayer more. I I don't know, but Pastor Jeff doesn't have an an inside track to God any more than any of you do. If you've been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ and you are a saved, born-again Christian, you have as much right to go to the throne of God and get the help you need or the help you're looking for as any of us do. But the Bible does tell us here that as leaders of the church, We are to set the example and to show that we believe in prayer, that we believe in the power of prayer, that we believe in the God who's called us to pray, and so we're going to pray. So we're going to pray. And like Elijah, who was just a human being who put his pants on just like we do, who had struggles and all of that, just like we do. Because again, if you know the story of Elijah, you know that he suffered from depression. In fact, so bad at one point, it was like, God, just just take me. He wasn't going to kill himself, but he asked God to take his life. That's how depressed Elijah was. So let's not build up Elijah as if somehow, you know, he's not like us. He was, and yet he knew that God responded to prayer, and so he prayed that it would not rain, and for three and a half years, no rain. And as soon as he prayed again, God heard his prayer, and the sky split open, and the rains poured down. Now that's a man or that's a woman that knows, I got a connection with God. And I want to tell you, there is nothing that will make you more confident in your Christian life, nothing that will provide power behind and underneath your life as a Christian than knowing that I can come to the very throne of the God of this universe who created everything that I see, including me, who has eternity in his hands, And I can come to him with anything and everything at any time and we can do business together and he will respond to me and there will be power there as we pray and as I seek his face. Are we praying, my brothers and sisters? Because Jesus even said, and I'll leave you with these words from Jesus. Jesus even said in the same passage where he started out by saying, my brothers and sisters, my followers, you ought always to pray and not to lose heart or faint or give up. At the end, he said, but when the Son of Man comes back, going back to that return of him, he said, will I find faith on the earth? Think about that. Jesus. He's not talking about unbelievers. He's talking about the faith of believers. And in the context of Luke 18, it's all about faith to pray. Basically, he's saying, am I going to come back to a prayerless church? Am I going to come back to a group of people that no longer believe in me and believe in prayer, who have stopped praying? I hope not. And I hope especially here at the Oasis... That maybe if other churches abandon prayer and don't make prayer a priority anymore or we don't teach on prayer anymore or as individuals, you know, we're not setting an example, especially as leaders, about the priority and the importance of prayer in our life, I hope that we're just the opposite. That prayer actually becomes more a part of the fabric of our church and of our own individual lives. And if anything, one of the greatest testimonies to me a local church could have is knowing those people over there, they pray because they believe in a God that nothing is too hard and nothing is too impossible for. And if we go to his throne and we talk to him, man, God will move on our prayers. And we are a prayer, because I guarantee you this too, in this day and age, people know you pray. They'll come to you. They'll ask you to be praying, because they know the Christians who pray. They know the Christians, even amongst Christians, who really have a connection with God and who pray. Because guess what? When something happens in their life, who are they going to go to? Are they going to go to the Christian they don't even know whether they have a connection with God or who prays? Are they going to come to the Christians and go pray for me? And I want to be that Christian that when another brother or sister or even an unbeliever has something that they want prayed for, that they would say, I'm going to go to Jeff and ask him to pray because I know he'll he'll take this to the the Lord and he'll pray about it. Not that prayer's a magic formula, but we're talking to the God that everything changes because of him. That it's not what we're doing, it's who we're talking to. That's why Jesus says, you have not because you ask not. God wants us not only to have faith enough to finish, God wants us to have faith enough to pray. May we be like Elijah. So today, guess what I want to encourage and invite you to do today? I want to invite you and encourage you that if you're here today and you would like to be prayed for, you would like to be prayed over, you would like some brother or sister in Christ to pray with you, I have already talked to our leadership about being ready to come and pray with people today. Our elders are here, our ministry leaders, our prayer team. People are here to pray with you. And to me, I'm like, how can we listen to a message like this? Have some kind of need or something in our heart and go, now I'm not going to ask anybody to pray with me or pray for me about that, or I'm not going to come and pray to the Lord about that myself. I'm like, really? (laughs) We're still not going to respond when God says, pray. Because again, our prayers are also tied to our perseverance. We do not persevere, we do not wait. We do not endure sometimes because we do not pray. Staying in connection and communion with God through prayer is one of the best ways you and I can finish well. So would you stand with me? And we're going to close in prayer, and then I'm going to invite any and all of you who would like to be prayed for, prayed over, prayed with today to just come up here I know we don't have a lot of room right here at this, but we have this section over here. We have this section over here. I'm just going to invite you to come and to even just acknowledge that I believe in the God of prayer, and I believe in prayer. I believe it works. I believe that the prayer of the righteous has great power and great effectiveness. And God, I am calling on you today intercede to intervene to show up maybe in my own life maybe in somebody else's life and just as James tells us you don't have to pray alone James tells us right here, he, he encourages us. He says, pray for one another. I've called you, God says, into community so you don't have to be out there praying by yourself, but so you can have a few other brothers and sisters in Christ around you to pray with you, to pray for you, to pray over you as well. God calls us to be that. God calls us to do that. Let's do that this morning, shall we? Our Lord. Our Lord. may we demonstrate today as your people our faith in you that we believe in you God that we believe in the power of prayer that we believe God that you are a God strong enough that you can give us that supernatural stamina and stick-to-itiveness and hang in their power that no matter what we're dealing with, no matter what obstacles or challenges or mountains are in our way, God, we can overcome it. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And God, we believe that today. And even though it's being tested right now in my life, I'm going to keep on keeping on. And I'm going to keep holding on to you, God. I'm going to keep talking to you and holding on to you and grasping on to you and clinging to you and I'm not going to give up I'm not going to quit I'm not going to throw in the towel but God I'm going to reach up to you in faith and I know that when I reach up to you you're going to be right there to grab a hold of my hand take a hold of me in my life and give me whatever I need including your very presence to see me through So that God I can cross that finish line one day and say as Paul did I kept the faith and I finished my race God would you move in this auditorium this morning would you settle hearts would you heal hearts would you make us whole as only you can do God we pray in Jesus name amen